It's like the community has been huge for the Wanderers and we would be nothing without the community. And uh, obviously we're just going to continue to give back because it's, it's not just the right thing to do, but like it's what we're about. It's part of our identity. It's it's like one of the worst, and I can't say worst because there are people who have lost loved ones, so I have to take a step back. But from a personal standpoint, it's one of the worst things of COVID because Mm. I saw what the Wanderers did in 2019. Man, we were gonna. I was I was I was critical, and you and me have even kind of butted heads over some things over the last few months. Yeah, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of friendships. And that's it, man. That's it. I I could not wait to see what they had ready for 2020. And we've been talking in our in our Facebook group about how they you guys have done Dylan especially has done an amazing job bridging this gap so far. Man, nobody nobody knows how much every single part of our team does it. Some you, things are more public than others, okay. but every so, single part of our team for actually right now, give me give me a quick twenty seconds. I want to give it a obviously Derek. Everyone knows what Derek does. Like he's amazing in terms of giving the direction and the compass for everything that we do. He's, he, he's that, and he does that better than anybody else in the league. You know, I want to give it a show to Matt Feegan, who just started his new um, podcast, by the way, game changer. Everybody has to check that out. That's, I watched the first episode and, you know, I struggle sometimes with the Irish accent. And that was one of the first things I told Matt when he told him, I was like, bro, listen, I, I did have to listen to it a second time because of the Irish accent, but like, it's amazing. And, you guys are both just on another level that like I strive to be and like why I'm really glad to be on a team with you, with you, Matt, personally, as somebody has known a long time and um, just unbelievable insight and just direction, like, which is something I've always just really respected about being a part of the Wanderers is just like, we all, we, we just, we know where we want to get to, you know, you know, even though we might not necessarily be there and COVID happened and all that, like, all of us have this passion for this one goal that like we know we're going to be the best in the league and we're going to set every single standard going forward that's going to just be unparalleled like and shout out to Derek and then shout out to Matt for his just work ethic his just passion to soccer his diversity you know uh, anyone who doesn't know anything about him like his jersey's retired at King's College the number seven is it ever? That's Is something. It ever? You know, not many people have their jerseys retired. To to just like talk about like what we were missing in 2020, that community interaction, it was kind of on the brink. Like we have the mooseheads in the city and the mooseheads have been a staple in the city for 20 plus years. And and it's been nonstop. Like even the yeah. years the team sucks, there's such a core fan base that Bobby and Co aren't worried about you know, even if they take a loss, they know they're going to pick up the next year because yep. the young guys. Because kind of the history is there. It's like exactly the people. Yeah. It's it's so that's good. like that's hard to get good seats, even in like the the like Musetta. Like you're not going to give them up, even some certain things. And that's where like you're right. Like it's crazy that like in year two with the Wanderers, we're already there. Where like people don't want to give up like seats. People don't want to give up like you know the members because they're like, man, this is something that like even though there's a pandemic coming or we're in the middle, like wonders are going to be a thing for a long time. Like it's, it's unbelievable. Like you guys and the Thunderbirds both have found yeah. this way to like actually get yourselves in the community in year one mm. in, and, and I, I don't want to say like they were very successful. The, the Thunderbirds were con- legitimate national lacrosse league contenders for the title 
it's yeah. amazing to see how the Wanderers on it, the other end of the Canadian Premier League table it's always able to maintain that and, it's always interesting to see an American team be able to like um uh, very, very quote, unquote, quote unquote rebrand and move cities isn't and that still be really successful. cool uh, well think I'm about, sorry, think about this let's talk about this real quick like I'm I, down as somebody who's like a huge footy fan like um Big shout outs to Columbus for winning the MLS right now. Like, Dude, I'm glad was, you brought this up because oh man, see, listen, okay, this is why okay, this is why I love you. This is why I love you. I I did a little quick little session of questions when I was out on the deck. And mm -hmm. I actually brought up Columbus. If you knew the whole story about how oh, the club was about bro. to die, and here they are, MLS. As somebody who there. works for the club from like a, 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 a like foundation point, I can only look to Columbus as like Oh my gosh! As like an example of what we want to be, like they're not not only just MLS champs, but like they are a club that went from having an owner who um, came in with money, which is like as somebody who you know my story from being a refugee from East Africa, whatever. Or for, like I'm just all about just an identity. This is why I'm an Arsenal fan, and I've been an Arsenal fan since I was four years old because I'm not a money means nothing to me it's about an identity and columbus had this identity and they had somebody who came in and tried to take away that identity and they came together as not only a community but as a club as a culture and were able to fight off this um motive this 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 narrative that was just completely against what they were about and they won which n never happens in footing and Never. the best and the best part is is they beat a team like Seattle who have a concrete foundation that will never break. Seattle will always be a contender. I haven't been that able to talk about this yet, Chris, but I'm glad we're talking about this now. But Love it. um over um the summer when the whole the season wasn't able to happen and um the Wanderers as part of the league had to have the collective launch to be able to have something um to be able to bring everybody together as not only just in the, the individual local communities, but the league community to be, be able to just like, we understand that this is a weird year, but like we need to come together and we also need to have a product and be able to continue the momentum we started in 2019. And there was just so many different individual stories that happened within that. But um, one little story that just like personally is just like an example of not only how positive this league has already been to the Canadian culture but to even the Nova Scotian culture to the Halifax culture that like over social media during the start of the island games during the whole Black Lives Matter movement when it started um, I was just on Instagram started commenting towards one of like four people who decided to make a comment about all lives matter um, on a post that the the first post that the league made um, announcing that they were going to, you know, basically acknowledge the elephant in the in the room about um, everything that was happening with George Floyd and and Black Lives Matter, right? So that happened, and four people commented, um, "All Lives Matter." And at that time, it was after we had already had the Zoom calls with Wanderers, and like I had already personally felt like obliged, like to not be silent about a lot of things, and like be a voice in recognizing that we're in the early stages of the league and we really have to create an identity and like make sure that people recognize that like our foundation is based on in diversity and inclusion What's as that? the league, you know, and, and the league is 
well represented internationally and um, even locally within that. So kudos to the everybody involved in the league for that. But we really had to place a landmark and like, you know, um, we really had to take a stance for lack of a better term, you know, and it, it happened quickly and swiftly. And I'm so happy in that sense that like everybody came together and was able to recognize that like in the early stages of a league, of a company, of um, whatever, you have to make sure that not only your fan base, but your community, everybody recognizes that like, this is something that like, isn't about just sport. It's not about just results. It's not about a spring and fall league. It's not about, you know, seven teams being the first year. It's not about, it, it, it's about more than that. It's about Canadian soccer being able to start connecting to North American soccer. Yes, exactly. You know? it, like, it, right? To like, be able to express. Like, express. Perfect to, word. Like, perfect I, word. I, I know it's it's a generic word, but it is a perfect word. No, like It's, it's an opportunity word. for Canadian soccer to show that perfect we word. are... So many young, so many young and, you yeah. know, middle-aged, you know, Canadian athletes to express. Yeah. Obviously, it's and, not a, a, one for the older ages. And, like, anyone who yeah. criticizes the league for not being able to um, accommodate older athletes in the league is naive to the what the league is about because that's not bingo, bingo. what it's about so like anybody who's about that opinion is like you, i feel like you just haven't learned enough about the league or researched enough about the league to realize that like it's not about uh, accommodating for the older guys who are trying to find a league to retire and this is this is not what the canadian Premier League is. it's about canadian soccer like you said and trying to grow the the youth and the development of you know, Canadian and North American athletes who can develop into, you know, world-class athletes. What the Canadian Premier League has done is kind of represented Canada as a whole. We are a very multicultural country. And I yep. think the league has done a really good job too of kind of delegating the international spots to the roster. Yes, yep. they want to platform the Canadian players, but I feel like the league recognized very early on that about 33% of the players in this country that are good are guys that aren't technically from here. And it's situations where they need to have a contract that might be more specifically structured into who they are and where they're from rather yeah. than a straight contract. But again, like I, it's going to be a broken record for me, mm -hmm. um, but it's about diversity and inclusion, you know? Yeah. So when you talk about those two things, even in a football sense, like when you include that, that's why the Premier League is so successful because it is the most diverse league and is the, the most inclusive league. So they're not just about English players being successful. And even though a lot of them are successful because of a um, effect of, you know, the international and the diversity of the whole league, it's not, that's not the motive. And that's what I hope the CPL recognizes from a very early Yep. Not not only, I don't think recognize it. We, I think the CPL has recognized it. Yep. The CPL will continue to thrive because we know that we are only going to be successful as the people we include in it. And we have to be diverse internationally, locally, whatever, to be able to have a longevity um, with with the football, with the culture, with with the business, with everything, with the community, with everything. So. And I, I like that you brought up England because I think the, the the issue with England hasn't actually been the playing talent. It's been the coaching. 
And I think what's happened in Canada so far is that we have a head start with coaches. Like this league actually has an all-star squad of coaches in year two going into year three. So I know you're a lot closer to the whole connection. So I I actually, not even just that. I'm just more, I'm just so passionate as, this yeah, is the great thing about our, the Wanderers team is that like we're all football people. Like I've I've been I moved to Canada as an eight year old who you know was really into football to uh, New Brunswick, moved to Nova Scotia um, as an eleven year old, and really from even though I was cutting my first team, first my team. parents encouraged me to like I'm not trying to add cocky, but I just feel like. You didn't, I didn't get to express myself. Maybe you didn't get to see, but, and I got it. I got a, a tryout the next week. And um, not only did I end up, he, he ended up admitting that he made a mistake, but like I ended up being a starter on the team that year. And um, by halfway through the season, Emmett Batra, who's now the Acadia men's and women's coach, um, ended up recommending me for the provincial team. So like everything for my like football life and where I work and everything happened from that year on. Like, it's crazy how just everything just is a trickle effect. It is that man. I met Fegan. Honestly, I met Fegan that year too. Fegan was playing for Halifax city. Um, Crazy left foot. (laughs) Like we said, like everyone doesn't know about him again. Did he, he play with Sweet a, Apple? Sorry, not to cut you off. Did he play with Sweet Apple? He did. He played That's with Sweet Apple. That's why I knew the name. You just yes. literally, okay, listen, listen. You just filled a huge puzzle piece. Yes. Because when I, when me, Anthony, and and this was pre-COVID, the boys were still training openly. And the Steve's brothers yeah. too. Like, yeah. Oh man, those for, guys uh, were insane. Yeah, Kevin oh, and Colin. God. Yeah. Those guys were insane, man. Yeah. Yeah. Those. The hoops we called them because they look like uh, Matt Budreski. Man, oh man. Um, I'm trying to think who else was on that. Dylan Sheehan. Um, and Dylan Sheehan is a legend in so many different ways, like for Brown, for playing for the Valley, and then switching the city and like winning multiple national, like uh, provincial championships. Like, um, you know, he was that city team was stacked, man. Like, Sweet Apples was there. Um, I think even. What's his name? Who ended up coaching the women's uh, national team? Daniel, Danny uh, Worthington. Worthington. Shit, I didn't even know that. Too. Yeah, he played on that team too. Benjamin. Oh, frig. Yeah, yeah man, going to watch bro. those guys were crazy. And the crowds were good too. Like, the, oh, the that was one of the tenants was the best. Yes, yeah. man. The kids used to be out and there used to be 50, Actually, 50 draws. Actually, now that you mention that in terms of tennis, that was why me and Matt, Matty Fegan met because he – um, directed uh, Eastland commercial that was me, um, Derek Gadet, um, Danny Bashar, Melissa Gadet, um, Pat McNeil, Pat, uh, oh my gosh, Kelly, Kelly Burgess, and there was, what was Pat's last name? He played for Shibuya County. But, anyways, yeah, Matty Fegan directed an Eastland commercial because he, he was working for Eastland at the time. That's when I first met him. Oh, man. Small and you just world. you just you just name dropped two of my all time friggin' like favorite people too. Derek and Danny. Derek and Danny. I have a story about Derek real quick. One time, legitimate, like not even lying to you, left my friggin' bank card at CP Allen after a basketball game. Just pumped twenty dollars gas. Mm-hmm. This guy had just paid, mm-hmm. was leaving, but we had a conversation because it was the first time I saw the guy in forever. He yeah. said, "Oh man, I got this. I got this. Mm-hmm. Paid for it." I was like, "Man, I'll hit you up." Blah 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 blah. Went back, got my bank card. 
I've been trying to get a hold of this guy for years. He does not use social media. Who is it? Who is Derek or Danny? Derek. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh Danny. Danny's all over social media. No, Derek ghost mode. Yes, man. But I was just like, this guy did that, and I've been trying to get back to him for okay. I'm trying to think off my like two, three years now. I saw Derek for the first time in a while, and he's like, he's been my boy for a long time. But like three weeks ago, me, Derek, uh, Danny, Billy, all went for a kick at Tremont, um, just out of the blue. It was Billy just Connelly? me, Billy Connolly. I, oh, I invited. Man, it, it was just, you guys I invited like, just me and 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 Billy and and um, me and Billy and Danny. I didn't know Derek was coming, and like he ended up showing up. And like and uh, Maximus, I was like, as soon as we got there, like Maximus was with me, and I was like, just watch Maximus. Like, like the best of the to, best, right there. You're gonna like just just oh, watch. I like, only got to play against these guys in bulk one year, and then all the all together two years. Like, I only got to play against these guys, like, just in sporadic fashions. Like, and Ryan Whiteman's another guy who... Oh, those are my really boys. Like, I grew up playing with yes, those man. guys. Man. Like, and team. my God, like, like and, and you, you said Billy Connolly, and I just got, oh, like, goosebumps because you want to watch an artist at work, it's this he's guy, the un- man. He's the like, most underrated uh, oh, um, footballer and, in Nova Scotia in our age group, man. Like, and also, our- shout, out, shout out to Ben Ur, too. Like, oh, yes. That yes, guy yes. was... Yes. I scored a goal on him, U18... And it's like it's still the only goal in my life that I remember with any yeah, kind man. of quality. Because no, if man. you score Shout on Ben, you remember that because that guy could stop a freaking tennis ball if you shot it at him with a gun. Shout out, like, Shout out to Benner. Me and Benner were supposed yeah. to be end up being roommates at at Dow, and like just through un- unfortunate circumstances, we didn't end up being uh, roommates. But like, no, Benner is one of the best goal, top three goalkeepers I have seen in Nova Scotia. And the only other two, if you want to hear in order, um, are both unbelievable goalies. Second, also hugely underrated, is Colin Power. Okay. Colin was uh, he went to he went to the same school. He went to John A. with Billy Conley. Uh, he was our provincial team. He he was on the national team uh, under fifteen. He was. Colin Power, yeah, he played Dal. He played Dalhousie for three he, or four years. Was he really short? He wasn't really short. He was like five goalie, eight, yeah. like for a goalie. Yeah, for a goalie, for, yeah. like okay. at that I time, you're talking about it was that. normal. Well, yeah, yeah, short compared to goalies now, you know, because goalies are tall now. But like he was, yeah, like like I, I'm like five ten, and like I would be considered short. But like, um, but the reason he wasn't that rated for. A, the time for goalies because he didn't have a big kick um he, he he had sometimes defenders had to take kicks for him but like in terms of shot stopping ability he was unbelievable you know we we had that age group where we had um him we had Derek uh Gaudette who played with TFC eventually you know we had Danny Bashara who's with the national team under 17 we had Roy Kennedy who's the U17 national team we had um, Keith McMillan. Um, we had Andrew Diel. We had um, man. We were there were just so many of us. But anyways, we just had chemistry, and st- we were lucky enough that we were actually at under sixteen age, coached by Steve Hart. He ran a few of our sessions, and then when we were Canada Games level, because get this, actually, actually, this is this is the thing nobody knows. We were the luckiest age group for soccer because at under 14, the under 14, under 16 provincial teams went to all-stars. We, so we were under 14, we went to all-stars. 
the next year they changed it. So under 15 and under 17 went away to All-Stars. So we went away because we were under 15. And then they were decided, you know what? That's now we're going to go back. So they said under 14 and 16 go away. And we were under 16. So we got to go away to All-Stars again. And then the year after that was Candy Games. And like Candy Games is under 18. And there was a bunch of guys who were 18. But we had been together for three years. So we were they basically took our age group and were like you guys are on can games and they took only from the under the people who were supposed to go for the age group was dennis uh dennis Byrne, jeremy truini you know jeremy truini bro from uh pa yeah um, i do yep this side Isaac, trust me everybody on this side of the harbor we know who's who yeah jeremy truini nick nicholas mcmahon from cole harbor shout out nicholas mcmahon i haven't seen him in since then to be honest Isaac Lawrence, who moved from Winnipeg, from uh, nobody really knows him, but anyways, Isaac Lawrence, and there was one other person that, oh, and then unfortunately, Jeremy ended up tearing his ACL, and we ended up picking up Wes Hawley, who you know. I know oh, you know Wes Hawley. Shout out to the bro. Yeah. Honestly, I thought Wes was going to beat you on the podcast. I was going to message him in a couple of weeks and be like, hey, Wes, man, <laughs> I, I need to hear some stories about you guys. Winning another Nashville. gooner. Another like, gooner. He is a serious one, too. Like, yeah, man. We're boys. Back in the day, anytime Manchester United used to beat Arsenal, if I saw him in public, because I used to see him all the time back in the day, way more than now. He used to be like, yeah. turn the blind eye on me. Yeah, and speaking no, we... of, that's a good segue. We'll, we'll save the rest of your flashback for the next episode because I honestly yeah. could listen to you talk about those days all oh, night, man, because I'm having flashbacks and I only played two years of tier one. Like I, I never played really at a high level in this province, but we were just two a really, years was a, like, really that, just lucky it. age group. And, and I was, I was really lucky to, to be on that Dartmouth United team with guys like Buffett and Bagnell. And, oh, and Buffett, Eddie, Bagnell. You uh, had um, Alex Smith um, and Alex and Ian and, uh, yeah. Cameron, the Camerons. Yep. And, 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 and like, it was just fun times, man. Like I had soldiers behind me, Grayson, um, yeah. like, you know, Diego. We, the, oh man, Diego was incredible, Diego. man. Like, oh, I learned so much from him. Like, mm -hmm. Sheldon wanted me to be Diego, and I was like, I can't be Diego. No, Diego's Diego. <laughs> but like, like nobody you can know, be Diego. Those two years, just like I learned so much from the guys I played against. Like, I love those guys I played with. Those are my brothers. Playing. Those are the years that made me fall in love with football, man. man like, me too. Honestly, me too, man. Like, I remember we had a party to watch the World Cup when Zidane did the headbutt, and. Yeah. And the start of the party, there was like 20 of us in the house. And by the end of it, there was like maybe eight or seven of us because at this point it was extra time. Parents yeah. were there to pick them up because they were told, come in two hours. Nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody thinks about extra time and stuff. And, and I remember everybody who was left there were like the actual soccer fans. And, and shout out to Sheldon, man. Sheldon was like, we, he wasn't the greatest soccer coach, but I feel like if he had a better coach ahead of him, he would have mm -hmm. been the best like, man, like assistant manager or assistant coach or something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to keep you all night, brother. For the people who don't know, it's Friday, or actually it's Saturday morning at 12.52 a.m. right now. Post-edit. Yeah. Post-edit. So it'll be much, much later slash earlier. Yeah. Um, I got two more if topics. If you don't know, now you know. Yeah, straight up. Two more topics for you. Number one, you already brought them up. You were talking about everybody's clubs breaking down, and you are a Arsenal supporter. Good. What is going on there? Because a lot of people have been talking to me over the last seven-ish years about what the hell's going on in Manchester. But there's something going on in Arsenal, and I don't know what it is. Is it Arteta? Is it the players? Is it maybe a, a fan culture that's so toxic that it's kind of seeping into the players? Or is it just bad luck? It's a COVID thing. It's always a dice roll. 
Give me your thoughts, Marvin. What the hell is it's going on? It's all of the above. That's the best thing about yeah. it. It's all of the above. As somebody who's been an Arsenal fan since I was, like I said earlier in the show, four years old, um, Arsenal is going through all of the above. The same as it's crazy because Arsenal has been my identity since I was four. Um, lately, since 2018, the Wanderers has not been part of my identity. Barcelona is also been a part of my identity since I was six years old. So like people who don't know that about me. Um, so all of those are going through the most important thing that any club can go through, a culture shift, a culture change and identity. They're all forming that. So like, it's important that they go through it and come out and on the other side and like Arsenal right now, is going through a huge just culture shift and brands and clubs go through it every now and then as long as i've been an arsenal fan from a young age we've been a big club we've been a big brand we've been a winning club and people have just wanted to go there you know and arsenal is going through a period right now where we're not we're now not winning because of certain things going on in the background that is the unfortunate thing it's unfortunate when clubs suffer because not because on the football pitch that they're suffering but because things that are going on in the background which is why i'm really happy um being part of a club that things in the background are going really well and it's led to on-field success the, the the exact opposite is happening with the wanderers you know and with the arsenal the exact opposite is is happening where we're not having success because things in the background are not going well. Ozil is a great player, but because of the culture shift that we have to go through, that's mandatory. He is one of those guys who he's a part of that. You know, he's, he's what's the, ah, there's it's, a it's, word. Not to, not to cut you off. It's really weird to me during this like age of COVID where clubs are looking for deals mm. that Arsenal wouldn't just say, Hey, Ozil's available. And mm-hmm. some, I, 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 somebody would have grabbed him, I thought, to, like, yeah. salary him. I, but it's, it's a really not, weird not, not to cut you off, but, like... No, cut me off all you want, brother. <laughs> the, the, the difference between... The reason why everyone's, like, why does Arteta deserve to stay when um, Emery didn't is because Arteta, from day one, made a decision. Ozil has to go for the culture. Not because he's not a good player. He's like, I rec- from day one, he recognized everyone knows Ozil's a world-class player offensively and that he can do that. But, like, everyone also recognizes that Arsenal defensively needs to improve. And Arsenal can never move forward until they um, address the defensive issues, right? And that's why Mourinho is able to have success everywhere as he goes because he's really good at addressing the defensive issues. And that's why our rivals... Spurs are doing real because, again, you can only succeed when you build from the back and then let your creative players express themselves, which I mean, Arsenal has always done. Mourinho and Lindelof look good. Oh, so good, so, so good. Mean, and Arsenal, Arsenal is trying, and he, in Arteta's credit, he succeeded in allowing us to be better defensively, even to this. That and that's why we were able to win the FA Cup last year and the Community Shield against Liverpool and beat Liverpool twice. Um, we beat City in the FA Cup semifinal with not only a clean sheet, but we scored two against them. 
and they beat Chelsea and they got final and only a clean sheet where we scored two against them with also a new manager in, in Lampard. But we did the job, right? And then all of a sudden, which is the last point before I ramble on, that Arteta is struggling where a lot of other managers haven't, where a lot of people aren't understanding is he just started managing as a head coach recently. And his first time being the having to make these decisions about who to play in the Europa League, who to play in the FA Cup, who to play in the Prem, who to play in all these different competitions and be the decision maker for the everything. Where at City, he was just the assistant. And under Pep, yeah, he learned a lot, but now he's being tested during a pandemic. And nobody else, nobody, literally, at right now, nobody else in the league can say that they started their managerial career during a pandemic. So Thank I can you. afford him a little time knowing that he's a manager who's won a trophy in his first six months, two trophies in his first six months against some quality managers with a terrible back line with a struggling attacking line, rebuilding a culture and a club. So he deserves some time. See, I only know good Arsenal fans. I wish your entire fan base was like you and my brother because you guys have common sense because it's true. And it's the same yeah. thing that Solskjaer is going through right now. And exactly. I keep saying to everybody, exactly. go look at the table. We he doesn't that- know his best 11 yet. No, Knowing no. your best 11 takes time. And if we win our next game in hand, we're two yeah. points behind the lead. Ole continually surprises people. And I'm pretty sure he leads the league in um, away wins and yeah, also in fire. points from winning, from losing positions in games, which is really hard to say for is a, it like like six, a young six manager. Or seven in a row. Yeah. Where they concede first and they've actually come back to win. And I keep I think saying to everybody, them. like, this, these are like historical statistics for Manchester United. Oh, like, historical. Is, no, he set records. It's not yes. just like a coincidence. Like he's setting records as, and he's not just like, he's not somebody like uh, Klopp or Mourinho who's been a manager for a long time. He's also closer to Arteta in terms of being a really young manager. I think Ole has only been a manager for two or three years. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. There's no way he's more than three. But it, Ole if, he is, if he is, it's literally like, I think he was managing in Norway and he was a failure in most of the places he was at. That's what made his move to United. So people don't understand. People are looking at guys like if you want to really be critical, then look at guys who are legends who are having a hard time managing. Look at Henri who went from being great with um, Belgium on, you know, being an assistant to Martinez to being horrible when he was the head coach of an actual team in France, you know, like it's a very big difference being an assistant to being the head coach and having to decide who you play on a week to week basis in each competition, in each position and having to manage personalities and manage positions and manage finances and manage everything. And it's take the blame. And take the blame. a big part, like, I've, I've been an assistant coach on two soccer teams. I've been an assistant coach on two basketball teams. I've never been a head coach. Yeah. And when teams lose, when, you know, I feel it personally, but I know oh. that the parents are, are probably looking at the head coach more than they're looking at me. And, it's such a good point. You, and you I've had conversations you, with, I've had conversations with parents after games where they'll actually sometimes tongue in, tongue in cheek, sometimes yeah. directly talk yeah. about the head coach. 
And I'm kind of sitting there like I should defend him, but I'm just going to let this parent talk. We had, we just had Stephen Hart on down the pub and I was a critic of him. And to be able to tell him I was wrong was a moment I'll never forget because there's not many times where you can be openly critical of somebody, they not care, mm. succeed. Mm. You have an opportunity to tell them I was wrong yeah. and they be susceptible to it twice. Oh, completely. Completely. And I loved how he was on the show. Like I, I asked him the question and I was like, you know, how do you deal with people like us who don't know what we're talking about? And he yeah. was straight up. They're not kicking the ball. They're not <laughs> up all night making the decision on who's going to be in the starting 11. Yeah. They're not dictating this. You know, I have a decent soccer background, and I'm pretty sure Carlos and Anthony both did too. But Stephen yeah. was both literally, you know, talking shit to us. Like, yeah. you guys don't know what you're talking about. No we clue. love that you guys have this platform, and we love yeah. that you guys have this passion that you want to share your opinions and talk about it, but we're not listening. And I loved every second of it. Like he's he just shared so, real so much. He's, he's so real. And, and, and I know that he took so much blame for what was happening last year because he's the head coach. I look back to 2019, not happy with Stephen Hart. And I want to smack that guy because I'm just like, you know, if you, you know, I was influenced by other things. But mm -hmm. if I could only shake that guy's head and say, things are going to be okay, I would have looked forward and been like, yeah, you're right. And Steve part Hart's of my problem is, is I live in the moment and I don't look to the future. And I think that's an issue with United supporters yeah. and Arsenal supporters. Yeah. You know, well, Arsenal's not going to get relegated. They're, they're close, but it's not going to happen. No, I, like, it, it's no. just People like, understand that we're going through we ha a necessary culture shift. And we have to. And like the changing managers isn't going to help Arsenal. We have to go through this and like the best person who's going to help Arsenal go through this is Arteta. And once we go through this, there might be a time where he is not the best person to move forward. But right now, Arteta is the best person to take Arsenal through this culture ship. And uh, my second favorite team, Barcelona, is going through this a lot of the same shit. And That's I don't know if Keeman is the guy to take him through it. And I know that you know, Messi leaving is a, a whole hurdle yeah. that no other manager has had to go through. But I, it's it's tough because for me, Arsenal and Barcelona have always been successful. And it's weird that my first and second favorite teams are going through a major culture shift where they don't even know if they're going to continue to be successful. And that Barcelona one is a weird one because it just comes down to lack of knowledge, spending money. Yeah. Know, well, got... I mean, a lot of it seems obvious from from yeah. back when when David Villa was oh, uh, David Villa was able to go to Atletico for I think it was ten mil, and then they had Suarez recently go for less than less than twenty mil. They've had there's a lot of questionable transfers that you're like, Sanchez, how is Pedro, how is that happening? Like, like Pedro, yeah, like, there's so Alexis Sanchez. You're like. Players are worth more money than they're leaving for. Like, it's, I think it's a weird the world one. sees it. Why yeah. aren't you guys take, banking more on these people who we recognize are world-class players leaving your club? Like, it was, it's, it's strange. I think it's why Madrid held on to Ronaldo as long as they did. As Ronaldo's wages went up, Madrid got younger. I completely agree. I just think it went both ways. What you said and also the fact that Ronaldo was being successful when you win – one, two, three Champions Leagues in a row. Why would I really want to leave? True enough. True enough. Um, 
yeah, what do you think is going to happen with Messi? Is he going to PSG or do you think he's going to play the free agent game? Do you think that Messi actually takes time off? Because I was just reading this article. I don't remember the author or what the website was, but they were talking about Lionel Messi actually waiting until January 1st, 2022, before he decides who he's going to play for again. I think he'll know by January 2021, but I I think that is a, a plausible situation where he waits until that time to actually make a decision because there's so much going on, A, with COVID. Like, that is such a big factor for everything and in, in every business and every sector. Like, COVID is such a big factor we can't ignore that, like, I think he will be smart and be like, well, it's going to have a ripple effect on everything else, be it financially, with my family, with whatever, that, like, maybe I do just wait. But he'll probably end up going to PSG personally, on my own opinion. And the fact that he, 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 he didn't he vote for – Maybe, but he, but he didn't vote for Ronaldo like, either. The first, like, first time in a long time that he hasn't voted for Ronaldo yeah. to be in the top three, and he voted for uh, Neymar and Mbappe, who both just happened to play for PSG. So maybe that's just a statement on his part. I'm, I'm just, it could be me just adding up pieces that aren't there, but I think yeah. Messi is lining up all the pieces to go to PSG and in terms of being able to afford him. I think PSG is the best lined up to go there. Like maybe you lose Di Maria, maybe you lose some other people, Moiskin, whoever you have to, but like having Mbappe, Neymar, and Messi is priceless. If they don't win the Champions League this year, they're definitely going to win it next year with that. Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, yeah. that's absolutely ridiculous. All right. I have to end the night with some shitty shit. You were talking about the boy Alfonso earlier in the night and him and his, that his lady. Shit that yeah, Jordan. Yeah. I, and, and I apologize if I butcher her last name. I believe it's Haitema. Haitema, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I believe Got that's it. how you pronounce it. Yeah. She made yeah. this beautiful post of them on a boat in Man. the water on Instagram. And Story it, of our lives, though, right? You, you know God. this. Yeah, we, I do. we know this better than anybody. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I do, I do, I do. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, for those who don't know, I, I'm, I'm sure most people who are listening, if they get to this point, especially in the podcast, know this part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan posted this beautiful picture of the two of them on a boat on Instagram, and it became a, a magnet for trolls, for lack of a better term. Very, very racist and sexist and misogynistic terms and... Um, people more or less calling this man less than human and calling her less than human for being with Saying him. that interracial yes, uh, relationships like, weren't just, like proper uh, and all that. Like, man, just... it, it burns me, you know, I'm here, you know, uh, if it wasn't for an interracial relationship, I wouldn't exist. Yeah. So when I see this happening in 2020, it just burns me because, you know, what did my mom and dad go through that they kept from me? Like, you know, what, yeah. what, what, is actually in people's minds when they see my mom and dad together or they see me, you know, I've, I've been called everything on earth from Mexican to Portuguese to middle Eastern. But mm-hmm. when people find out I'm black and I'm white, there's a weird different kind of response. Oh, I hear you. And as, and as, and as you, as you let it burn over there, Usher, man, it's igniting my motivation to just continue to be the best diversity and inclusion officer there ever was and educate everybody to be how we can possibly strive to be like Columbus in their story and just be champions, not only on the field, but off the field. So I have two questions for you in regards to that topic. Number one, what do you think is the best advice for agents, teams, families, everything for young athletes right now? Do you turn off the comments? 
Do you not bother with social media at all? Or do you keep it open, delete, expose? Do you kind of like keep things going? And the second thing is, is and, and this might be a little bit petty because I am really proud of Bayern Munich for speaking up, but mm-hmm. they took a long time to respond to what happened. So mm-hmm. I kind of want your thoughts on both things. Like, what do you think young athletes have to do? And are you disappointed that Bayern Munich took long? Or are you happy that they actually spoke up for pretty much the first time in club history? And in terms of German football, the first time in the league's history, a club has actually spoke out against racism explicitly. Better late than never. So that's, that's, a, that's a really important thing for me. Like, it's important they, they did something. And I'll never criticize somebody for doing something at some point than never doing it. So I'm really glad, you know, better late than ever. And leading to my next would be, you know, it's, it's important that people with that being a criticism and that we all recognize that when things happen, that you do speak out quickly and swiftly as much as possible, you know, like just having, which is why I'm really, really, really proud of the Wanderers and what happened with George Floyd, having us step up and having a quick reaction about being anti-racist and, you know, that is the importance of aligning and being an ally of the anti-racist movement. Because if you don't act in a swift manner, like you said, it, it doesn't have the same impact. If you, if you don't acknowledge elephant in the room when they're in the room and you wait till they're out of it, that's, that's where I stand. You know, as long as you act quickly and you act period and you try to act swiftly, I'll never be a critic than somebody who acts late or whatever, like you acted. So I can't be a critic. Straight up, straight up. So in regards to young athletes, what do you, what would be your advice to, I guess, to put a cap on the night? If you're a young athlete, you're a superstar and social media is booming, they want you to create a profile. Do you say yes or do you say no? And if you say yes, what's your advice? Like, is this something where you expose yourself? Because I know personally, I've been a victim of racism in some subtle ways, but never in the extent as to some of my brothers and sisters, including yourself. It's just different. Like I said, people think I'm Mexican. People think I'm Portuguese. When people think I'm black, they just go quiet. They don't say anything. Like I've never really felt any kind of overt racism. I felt silent and awkward racism. So Mm. do you consider social media an asset to a black athlete to expose racism in the Mm. sense that they become a target? Or do you think it's something that a young black athlete should avoid at this point? Because it's crazy to say in 2020 that it might only get worse. It's important that a young blank athlete just is honest and is true to what they know. That's all I can say to any young athlete in any sport, in any, and it doesn't really matter. Yeah, you said it, you said it, blank. You said it, blank. It has to be blank. Not you black, know, and, not and white, not green, not, not yellow, not not blank. blank. You know, we're like, we, and this is this is what's weird. Like, you know, and I'm not trying to get all conspiratorial at the end of the episode, um, mm-hmm. but you know, Justin Trudeau and all these people are talking about reset, blank. reset, reset. You know, this is a really good time to socially and mentally reset mm-hmm. how we treat one another, and we should all treat one another as blanks, and that's just perfect, man. You know, I've had, I've had more conversations with people in my building that I I didn't talk to before COVID Mm. because maybe this, 
But mm-hmm. since COVID, those people in my building realize I, I can't go out. We're I'm all like, going through the same thing. Thank you. That's it. You just <laughs> you you just cut off a thirty second spleel to sum up what I was just saying. Is people you know in a small in a small core, people are realizing we're all going through the same thing. So and let's keep that same energy. If we can make that a bigger thing, man. Oh. Yeah. It could be a bit, it could be a better, better place. And it starts with football, man. And this story broke my heart because, you know, in shout out to Fonzie, like you said earlier, he's one of the 11 best players in the world. You can't take mm-hmm. that away from him. And as far as I've, I've heard, I, I could be wrong with this. I believe that Jordan is like the highest scoring Canadian in European football or champions league or something like that. Like she broke some record recently. So like she has yeah. a reputation of her own, right? Too. She does. She and, very much does. You know, we've we've talked about how the women's national team specifically is inspired by Christine. And, yeah, and Rob, Rob, Megan Rapino really spoke out of against you know yeah. about the not only the equity and the equality yep. between the men's and the women's sports. So it's important yep. we continue. Just said, and you know what? That. I I put my hands up, and I know this is an audio thing for those listening, but I put my hands up. I have been a vocal critic of Megan for talking when she shouldn't, but mm-hmm. I've also been a person who realizes that I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm completely wrong. I'm the type of person that says, you know what? Megan shouldn't talk about LeBron James. Megan shouldn't talk. You know what? Yes, she should. And the reason why is because for so long, and it's, it's an uncountable date of time. Mm -hmm. Women were not allowed to talk. When you think about the scale of time and history of, of all time, women have only been allowed to talk for maybe 30 years. My lifetime, your lifetime. Maybe. I love that. Cause that's, we're on the same point. I was going to say around the same thing. Like, I really don't care how male or female, but it's even more important in our generation, female. I don't really care how they act. I'm really more impressed the fact that anyone is acting, period. 